1988, probably think this is going to be a really important fact, right? Because I set a date and everything like that. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince argued for five minutes and 37 seconds about how parents, no matter the time or the place, they just don't understand. Some of you might know that song. Some of you might not. If you don't, you're not missing much, although it's got a catchy beat too. It's good. It's not bad. I listened to that song this past week because it kept popping into my mind as I'm studying the fifth commandment, to honor your father and your mother. And I want to be honest. To be fair, I think he makes a compelling case in the first verse about his particular parents not understanding. His mother buys him a bunch of clothes that he hates, clothes that are out of style and embarrassing, clothes that make him feel uncomfortable as he goes to school. But then it's in the second verse that I kind of lose him because he decides that he is going to steal his parents' Porsche. He doesn't have a license. He gets arrested. And I think his parents understood exactly what was going on in that particular case. Now, I'm not referencing that song only for laughs. I was hoping for more, but what are you going to do? I also think this this song captures a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning. Like I said, I'm on Will Smith's side in the first verse, especially after learning that his parents just bought a new Porsche. It seems like they could have afforded whatever clothes he wanted. Um, He's clear that the clothes they're buying him, they're embarrassing, that he hates them, that he feels uncomfortable going to school in them, so much so that he pretended to be sick so he wouldn't have to be seen in them, but they force him to go in the clothes, and he has a horrible first day of school. His parents weren't listening to him. Now, maybe stealing the car was his revenge. I don't know. However you want to interpret the song, it does seem, though, that there was some brokenness in this particular family. And while no 16-year-old should steal their parents' car, we are left wondering if maybe there was another path forward for all of them. Now, the challenge we're going to receive this morning as we look at the fifth commandment is that love and honor particularly in the context of a parent and child relationship, is mutual and, dare I say, reciprocal, especially when we understand what it means for us to bear the image of God, the one who first loved us, called us, and redeemed us before placing any demands on us. The fifth commandment, or this fifth word of liberation, is a word that assumes godliness and faithfulness on the part of the parents. These are parents who are heading into the promised land. These are parents who have already been taught to not have any other gods before them, to bear God's image rightly. To honor these kinds of parents only makes sense because these parents are on their way to glory, or at least they should be. But not only will we be challenged in how we relate to our parents and our children, my hope is that this morning we will catch a glimpse of the love of our Heavenly Father and how even after His children, time after time, dishonor Him and turn their backs on Him, He relentlessly pursues them to the point of sending His own Son to rescue them and provide a way back, a way that ultimately leads to the shores of new creation. And so with that, let's jump into our text. And the text itself is pretty straightforward. But as always, I think zooming out is important if we're going to understand what's going on here. So first thing, we need to remember who is receiving this word. God is speaking to this word 
This word, to his people, those whom he rescued from Egypt, from slavery. This is an already redeemed people. This is an already redeemed people. And not only are they his people, but God calls Israel in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, his firstborn son. So he's also speaking to his kids. This is a family matter. So these are a people who have been rescued, redeemed, and adopted into the family of God. And so what's the point? Just as all the commands before and all that are to follow, the command to honor one's father and mother, is a word that rests upon Israel's position as one, a member of the family, and two, it rests upon their salvation. In other words, as we've been talking about over the last number of weeks, grace always precedes the law. Grace always precedes the law. And so let's look at the text, right? Chapter 20 in Exodus, if you have your Bibles with you, we also have it up on the screen, but I would encourage you to open up your Bibles because we're going to be moving around a little bit this morning. It says this in chapter 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. First thing that pops off the page is this verb, honor. The word is used throughout the Old Testament, and it literally means to be heavy. To honor is also translated as glorify, as in glorifying God. It might be helpful to say that sons and daughters ought to regard their parents according to the weight of their position, according to the weight of their position. I'm reminded of of how we we view the, the presidency of the United States of America, though we might not agree with whomever it is in office at any time in, in, in our history, we are called to, to respect the, the office, respect the position. And so there is this sense where honoring one's father and mother is honoring the position that they hold. The commandment is tied to this promise that your days may be long in the land. And so so there's a promise attached to the command. It's similar to saying, max out your IRA every year so that you might retire in peace. Or study for your exams so that you might do well on the test and not get in trouble by your parents. Only this promise is a bit weightier than retirement and good grades. Now, now, what do we want to understand about this particular passage and when it talks about the land? See, the land is a significant theme that unfolds throughout the pages of Scripture in both the Old and New Testament. And Israel's place in the land was always tied to their obedience. We're going to get a little theological this morning, all right? We're going to get a little theological. We're going to dig into a really important theme that's found throughout Scripture, this idea, this theme of the land. And, and so this makes the commandment really important because the very act of honoring one's parents, at least according to the text, is directly linked to Israel's faithfulness, which was the way they would experience Blessing in the land, long days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now we need to take a detour for a bit. The promise of this land, this space where God's people could flourish and freely become everything they were created to be, was given to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. First time this this idea of the promised land comes up, but this was not the first promised land. This was not the first promised land, nor was it the first time faithfulness to God's word was linked to blessing. 
This is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden kind of unfolding itself once again in the story of Israel. Who were created, who received the breath of life, who were crowned with this title of image bearer and blessed with this face-to-face fellowship with God, who were then given one command to deny themselves and honor God by refraining from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were in a promised land. They were in the Garden of Eden, this this temple that was built by God for the purpose of worshiping him and having fellowship with his people. And we know how the story goes. We know that the consequences of their unfaithfulness is exile from the land. If you remember the story at all, they were kicked out of the land and, 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 and an angel was placed at the front entrance of the garden, and, and, the, and the Hebrew was, I remember studying this in seminary, it's, it talks about this flaming sword that went each and every way, and, and it was like really confusing and hard to translate. I remember being really frustrated, but also like, whoa, that's so cool. There's this just wild thing happening in front of the entrance to the garden, this flaming sword that went each and every way to keep them out because of their unfaithfulness. What happened there? They did not honor their father, and so their days in the land were not long in the land the Lord their God had given them. The point that I'm trying to make is that the reason why honoring one's parents was so closely linked to the faithfulness of God's people and their flourishing in the land is because a parent's role within the covenant family of God is to serve as an extension of God's rule and reign in the life of the people. Did you catch that? A parent's role within the covenant family of God is to serve as an extension of God's rule and reign in the life of the people. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now before we look at this passage, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 9. I want to remind us that the retelling of the Ten Commandments takes place in Deuteronomy 5. I also want to remind you that this Exodus generation that's first receiving this command, they fail to remain faithful, right? They don't get into the land. They died in exile outside the land, although their children now are being given this second chance. So let's take a look. Chapter, chapter 6, verses 4 and following. It reads and follows, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so let's take a look a little bit at what's going on here. This particular section of scripture, it's referred to as the Shema, which is just Hebrew for here or listen, and, and it's Israel's creedal statement. It's Israel's creedal statement, the greatest command. We're going to talk about creeds on Wednesday nights. We're going to talk about creeds as a system of belief, as, 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 a, as an anchor to which we can, we can kind of bind ourselves to so we don't kind of wander off the path. And that was, was this for the people of Israel. And they're instructed to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. And then they're told that these words that God has commanded shall be in their heart, on their heart. And this is where my point starts to pick up steam a bit. 
Moses gives them the command, and then he instructs them to do what? To teach them these commands to their children, to talk of them at home when they're traveling, when they go to bed at night, when they wake up. They're instructed to do whatever it takes to keep these words in front of their children. Why? So that they don't forget. They're being taught to pass down this tradition. And then look all the way down at verses 20 through 25 and says this, when your son asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, it's like, why do we do all this stuff? Like, why do we have to, you know, do this thing and that thing and, and the other thing? It, it might be similar to, to our kids maybe asking, like, well, why do we have to go to church on Sunday? Like, why do we have to wake up so early? Like, I'm tired. I don't want to go. Why do I have to go to Sunday school? And then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And so when your son asks you, why are we doing all this? Why do we need to know all these rules? Why do we need to Sabbath? Why can't we steal? What's up with all this stuff? The response is simple. Because God saved us. Because God saved us. That's why we obey. That's why we follow Jesus. That's why we follow God. Because he saved us. He rescued us. And so our obedience is a worshipful response to God. That's what's happening here. Remember, these are rules for what? For salvation? These are rules so we might receive grace? No. These are rules for the liberated life given to an already redeemed people, an already rescued people, an already adopted people. And God's saying, this is what it looks like to be redeemed. This is what it looks like to be free. This is what it looks like to be my people. Now go and do it because that's what it looks like to worship me. God desires our obedience. Why? Because he saved us. Because he saved us. What's the point? To dishonor one's father and mother who serve as an extension of God's grace who are leading one into the land is to dishonor the God of our salvation is what this text is getting at. Let's keep going. There's a lot here. Flip with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. The question I've been wrestling with all week and a question I think some of you might be wrestling with, if not, I'll just import an idea into your head for you to wrestle with. What about parents who are not leading their children into the land? What do we do with that? Now, I think 
that the Apostle Paul and ultimately Jesus does give us some answers to this, and we're going to get there in a second. But first, I want to look at this particular passage in Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. And and this verse in in chapter 5, verse 21, it's playing double duty. In other words, it, it closes out a previous section, and it also serves as the heading for a following section. I preached on this a few years back on both this chapter and the following chapter that we're going to look at. I'm actually going to put those in the, uh, the pastoral letter this week if you're interested in hearing a little bit more, because I don't have time this morning to necessarily dig as deeply as we might need to, but I would encourage you to give those a listen if you're interested. But let me just read this passage. It says this. In verse 21 of chapter 5, chapter five it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So verse 21 in this section, it serves as the culmination of this passage about being imitators of God that starts in the beginning of chapter 5. And specifically, it's part of this journey a follower of Jesus takes to be filled by the Spirit with the fullness of God. It says, look carefully then how you walk in verse 15, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine... For that is debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit, or be filled with the Spirit. You have to make a choice there. And then he gives us some instructions on how to be filled by the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, like I said, I preach a sermon on this. I give all my reasons why I believe this is what it means. I would encourage you to give it a listen. But for our purposes today, this verse, this verse also leads into another section. It leads into this section that's called the household codes. And And the point that Paul is making is that one of the primary ways we allow the Spirit of God to shape and form us into the image of God, into the image of Jesus, is through the way we relate to one another, to our neighbors, and not just our neighbors out in the world, but also those who are closest to us, those family relationships. In other words, we make room for the Spirit to work in and through our lives when we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we love and serve one another in humility, when we show deference toward one another, and then he provides a bunch of examples of how this mutual submission and reciprocal loves works itself out in the everyday lives of people, husbands and wives, slaves and masters, and parents and children. Now, that's all going to matter in just a second. Turn with me to chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let me read this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this particular command is directed first toward children. Now, this does differ in what we saw in Exodus and Deuteronomy. The command in Exodus and Deuteronomy was not necessarily confined to children, but rather it was a command given to people of all ages to honor their father and mother. But in this passage, Paul focuses on kids. So there's a little bit of a distinction here. Another difference is that Paul is instructing children to obey or listen, whereas the fifth commandment speaks of honor. I think that's important because honor and obedience are different. They're different. As a child, honor often looks like obedience. Actually, it mostly looks like obedience as a child. But I'm, I'm no longer under any obligation to obey my parents. I'm 40 years old. I don't know if you heard, I'm 40. 
freaking me out. I have a family of my own. Leaving and cleaving is, is what I've done. And so, no, I don't need to obey what my mother and father tell me to do. I don't. I, I think everyone in this room is in that same boat. Paul then says that this particular obedience is in the Lord. Now, there's some date, a debate as to whether or not this particular phrase is original to the text, but no matter, the mere passage in Colossians is helpful because it says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And then he gives the reason, because it is right, right? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? Because this is right. What's my point? We're building something here, so follow me. I usually don't do this much that's to Jesus, but follow me here, right? A child who claims to be a follower of Jesus demonstrates their faithfulness to God, how? By obeying their parents. It's pretty straightforward. Then Paul does something. He grounds this in the fifth commandment. Let me read verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. In other words... As a Gentile follower of Jesus, which is most of us, you need to know that you're being folded into this larger story that stretches all the way back to the foot of Mount Sinai, and as we'll see in just a few minutes, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Now, we're going to skip verse 3, and we're going to get back to it, but I want to read verse 4. It says this, "'Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger.'" but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so here's where this mutual submission that we see in chapter 5, verse 21, the heading of this section, starts to show up. See, our lives don't reflect Christ if we simply have obedient children. Right? Soldiers have obedient troops. Right? That doesn't necessarily mean they're reflecting the love of Christ or the person and work of Christ, but rather they reflect Christ when there is an environment of mutual love and respect flowing back and forth in these relationships. And the way this plays out for parents is that we're called to not make our kids angry. We're not to exasperate them, taunt them, put them into situations that tempt them to disobey. Right? And this can happen, right? And we've probably all done it where maybe we're a little too cutting or sharp with our kids and, and then we get mad at them when they respond in anger towards us. But the reality is, is like we kind of set the table for it. Now, it doesn't give the child the right to disobey, but just because someone doesn't have an excuse doesn't mean they don't have a reason, right? And so our role as parents is to not lead our children into temptation. Right? That's what we pray to our Father when we pray the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, and, and lead us not into temptation. Right? We pray, lead us not into temptation. We're begging our Father, please don't set the table so that it's easy for us to sin. Please don't, don't have sin knocking at our doorstep. And so if we are image bearers of God and we're supposed to be showing the world what God is like, then there is some onus that's placed upon us as those, those adults in the lives of children to not cause them to fall into sin and temptation either. You following what I'm getting at here? 
Think back to the beginning of our sermon when we heard from the prophet Will Smith. Parents play such an important role in the lives of our children. And part of that role is listening to them and understanding why something might be such a big deal even when we don't think it is. Why don't they want to wear that particular shirt? What is causing them to be anxious about going to school? Now, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that we just let our children run the world. That's not what I'm saying. Are there times when we need to push our kids into uncomfortable situations? Of course. But in the same breath, have we taken the time to cultivate trusting relationships with the children that God has entrusted to our care, where our words are not just demands, but are enveloped and blanketed with grace? Remember, salvation, grace, and the love of God always precedes his law. And so should it also in the way we relate to our children. Now, if we're sitting here and you're like, well, I don't have kids. Okay, okay. But maybe you serve in Redeemer Kids. Maybe you have nieces and nephews. Maybe you have people in your life. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you have these, these, these situations and these contexts where you are interacting with children and you are in a position of authority over them. Because a lot of what the fifth commandment is dealing with is, is also just authority as we start to zoom out. How do we relate to authority? Well, how, as someone who is in authority, how do I relate to those who are under my care? And so, yeah, I'm leaning a little bit heavier on the response of the one in authority because I think the command to honor is a fairly straightforward command, but Paul seems to look at it a little bit differently. He seems to, to force this, this reciprocal part to it. Like, am I worthy of being honored? And again, it doesn't mean the child has an out that they don't have to honor, but am I still one who's worthy to be honored? And that's what this is kind of pushing at a little bit. And so the Christians in this particular church are then given the same instructions the Israelites were given back in Deuteronomy to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, lead them into the land. Lead them into the land. Practically speaking, we have to get a little bit practical here because this is a pretty practical um, commandment. There are three questions I think we need to wrestle with before we can move on. The first question is, how do I honor parents who are not followers of Jesus? Second, what does honor look like as we grow older and, there are no longer, and we're no longer under the authority of our parents? And third, what do we do with parents who are abusive, right? whether physically, verbally, or emotionally? And so we're going to deal with those in the or or order that I just read them first. How do I honor parents who are not followers of Jesus? Well, again, we need to remember what honor means. We said it at the beginning that to honor one's parents is to regard them according to the weight of their position. This means that we respect them. We show our gratitude for bringing us into this world, for providing for us, and for loving us the best they know how. For children who are still under the authority of their parents, it means obeying them even if they aren't followers of Jesus unless you're being told to sin. This is what Jesus means when he says in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What he means is that ultimate allegiance is always to Christ and his kingdom. 
but we still respect those who have been placed in authority over us. For those who are older, honoring, and, and, you're, and let's say for those who are older and their parents aren't followers of Jesus, honoring doesn't mean you need to take the advice of your parents, especially if that advice is not in line with what we're called to as followers of Jesus. If it's not leading us into the land, it might also mean that you don't ask for advice. This way you don't have to unnecessarily offend them when you decide not to take it. And so there's wisdom here. This is for those of us who are not under the authority of parents anymore. There's a lot of wisdom involved in how we relate to those who are in authority over us. Second question, what does it look like for those of us who are no longer under the authority of our parents to honor them? Like I said, it means respecting them. It means providing for them and taking care of them as they grow older. Jesus has some really harsh words in Matthew 15 because the Pharisees are teaching people to give to the temple treasury instead of taking care of their parents in their old age. And so Jesus is like, no, no, you don't do that. You don't do that. You, you care for your parents. That's what you're expected to do. For those whose parents are followers of Jesus, honoring your father or mother might look like going to them for wisdom and advice, inviting them into discussions about raising children, preparing for retirement. It's teaching our own children or grandchildren or whatever the case may be to, to learn and, and respect those who are in authority over them. I think most of us knows what this looks like. And some of us even have traditions that we've grown up with that foster an environment where honoring and caring for our parents is natural. What I think happens, what I think happens, especially in our culture, where youth is celebrated to the neglect of age and tradition, which if we're honest, both age and tradition are borderline despised in our culture, is that when we are honoring our parents, when we are caring for them, and serving them, and for children, obeying them, we start to look incredibly different from the culture in which we're living. We start to be holy as he is holy, and we begin reflecting the goodness and love of God, especially in our culture, right? Let's be honest. Our culture despises institutions, period. It's like, I'm out on institutions. I don't care about the church. I don't care about country. I don't care about anything. All I care about is me. That's basically what we're living in. It's wild. It's wild time. It's wild time. It's wild time to be alive. To live in a manner that upholds tradition and the institution of the family is something that will absolutely distinguish us from the rest of the world. And then people will be like, well, why do you do that? What's that about? And then we have this opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within us. How we live our lives matters. How we relate to, to family matters. How we relate to those in authority matters because it reflects something about who we are. See, if we just say, I believe in God, but live our lives however we please, we don't really believe in God. And so this is one of the examples, honoring one's father and mother, where we are showing the world, I trust the wisdom of God here. I trust the wisdom of God here. Now, finally, what do we do with parents who are abusive, whether that be physically, verbally, or emotionally? I firmly believe for adults who are in this situation, 
if that's the case, then, then I believe we need to put up boundaries. Like there are boundaries that need to be put into place. We need to take care to not simply allow ourselves to be beaten down. I, I believe there are ways to do this lovingly. And thankfully for those whose parents do treat them poorly, who provoke them to anger, God has gifted us with the body of Christ where we can lean into um, our spiritual mothers and our spiritual fathers, something that I've seen play out in this body time and time again. And I, I believe we can still honor our parents even if we have to set up boundaries. I, I really believe that's possible. It takes work. It takes effort. But that's what following Jesus is, right? It's, it's not just like, like we signed on the dotted line, I'm a Christian and so I'm good. We are in one sense, but discipleship means we're, we're working through this life together. And it means gleaning wisdom from one another, finding out like who are people who have had difficult situations with their parents that maybe can share and enlighten me with some wisdom on how to, to deal with mine if I'm in that situation. Now, if the abuse is physical, and especially if you're a child, then you need to speak up and say something to an adult you trust. And, and if you know of a situation like that, and, and I'm talking to people now who are adults in this room, like you need to report it, right? Like we don't let kids get abused. What is sad is that this beautiful institution of the family that was given to us by God is another thing that has been marred and broken by the devastating effects of sin in this world. Which brings us back to our final point this morning. Like I said, a lot, a lot of stuff this morning, so I apologize if I'm moving around a little bit more than normal, but, but there's a lot here, even though it seems like a pretty straightforward command. So I want to look back at Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to look at verse 3, and this verse completes the quote from Exodus, providing the ultimate goal of this obedience, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, some thoughts. Could this just be a wise word? Kids, if you obey your parents, you'll live longer. Now, there's some truth to that, right? If my kids disobey and choose to run into the middle of the street or if they decide to not buckle up, their chances of survival start to go down, right? That's just true. But I think there's more going on here. Of course I think there's more going on here. And the reason why I think that is because of how significant the promised land is throughout the scriptures. Again, the land. Life in the land throughout the Old Testament was always a picture of salvation. It was always a picture of salvation. And it was always a picture of the relational presence of God. The relational presence of God. In Eden, Adam had access to God in a way that was personal and maybe even bodily. But Adam failed. He was removed from the land for dishonoring his heavenly father. And so God calls Noah. And after the flood in chapter 9, verse 20, it says that Noah became a man of the soil of the land. Same word, same word. But Noah, and, and so what does he do? He, he plants a garden. He plants a vineyard. But, but, but Noah, Noah becomes drunk. He passes out naked on the floor of his tent, dishonoring his heavenly father, and then something happens with his son Ham. The text is confusing, but it's clear that something dishonorable took place. Something dishonorable took place. And so God calls Abraham the father of Israel, a nation that some theologians describe as a corporate Adam. 
See, the thing about the Bible, as you start to read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, as it, as it fulfills the Old Testament, it, it recapitulates. It starts, you start realizing like, oh, this is the same story being told over and over and over and over again. It's the same story, just different characters. And so what does God do? He rescues this nation. He leads them through the waters and ultimately into the promised land, but they too are incapable of upholding their end of the deal. And then there was the one whom the prophets spoke of, the new Adam, as Paul refers to him, the faithful Israelite as the Gospels picture him, Jesus of Nazareth, who upheld and fulfilled the law, who honored his father, and suffered and died for the sins of humanity. He was then raised from the dead. The Bible describes him as, as, as him as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection. And this is the point. Now here, this is where I'm going to really start banging the drum. I want us to all listen. This is really, really important. Jesus' resurrection, his bodily resurrection right? Like skin and, 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 and body. He ate fish. I don't know if you remember after his resurrection, which means he needed, to be able, he needed to be able to consume something. So he wasn't a spirit. He was a body. Jesus's resurrection is the goal that we're striving toward. And, and the point is that he is the first breath of new creation, the fulfillment of the promised land. Only the land of promise is no longer defined by borders, but rather it sprouts up wherever faithfulness to Christ is happening. Wherever fathers and mothers are teaching their children diligently the good news of the kingdom and bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and wherever children are honoring and obeying their parents, the kingdom of new creation is sprouting up throughout this world. That's what's happening here. That's what we're trying to kind of wrap our minds around as we look at this particular commandment and, and this idea of, of it going well in the land. And to look back at the story, the people of Israel were being led into the promised land. The point of the promised land was to point to something in the future that was to occur, the new creation that all of us are going to experience if we are in Christ. We will also be raised up on the last day, receiving resurrection physical bodies, and we will live for eternity in new creation, a physical new creation. Heaven is coming down to earth, okay? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And we have this privilege, this opportunity to start showing people Little bits and pieces of that new creation. See, there's this already and not yet nature of, of, of the kingdom of God. And we experience the already when we put our faith in Christ, when we experience the, 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 the new birth of the Holy Spirit, we're given new life. The Bible says that we are what? New creations in Christ. So we're already participating in that new creation. And one day it will be fully realized. That's what's happening here. Now, the ultimate point 
I'm trying to make is that Jesus is the goal we're striving toward. And my hope is to be a father who is leading my own children into the land, to the person and work of Christ, that I might be worthy of the honor my kids are called to give me. I was really challenged this week as I studied this text. I don't know if you can tell because I'm all over the place. This was a very challenging text that I was wrestling with. I was challenged as a dad and as a son because, because I so desire, like it's really important to me to be a dad who leads with grace and with love. I don't want to be a hypocrite. My kids know I stand up here every week telling you all about Jesus, instructing you from this book. But my kids also see a Jonathan that none of you guys see, the guy who who does lose his temper, the guy who does yell. I also hope they see a guy who, who asks for their forgiveness when he messes up, who fights for them, who loves them. There's no guarantees, right? There's no guarantees that that my faithfulness will produce faithfulness in my kids. But my hope is to be faithful, and that's my job. That's my job. Is to show them who Jesus is, to lead them into the land, to not lead them into temptation. That's my job. It's also my job for, for any nieces and nephews I have. That's my job for even kids in this church. Honestly, that's all your job for the kids in this church. That you would be be spiritual mothers and fathers to them, leading them into the land, not into temptation. I also want to be a son who honors my own parents. I want to respect them. I want to hear them. And one day when it's needed, I want to do everything in my power to care for them. And, And truth be told, I know I don't always hit the mark. But I know I'm better at it today than I was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And so as we close, and as we reflect on this simple command to honor our father and our mother, let us also remember that our first calling is to honor and glorify our heavenly father, to love him with all of our heart all of our soul, and all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know what's amazing? St. Augustine said, he said, love God and do as you please. Right? What did he mean? Did he mean love God and go and have at it? No. You know what he meant? Because he knows what happens when someone loves God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength. He knows that they're changed. And so whatever we please... Whatever we please starts to become all the things that God is honored by. And so if we're loving God, if we're honoring our heavenly father, then we're going to honor our fathers and our mothers. And we're going to be the sorts of parents and the sorts of people who who lead other kids that we won't cause them to anger, provoke them to anger, exasperate them. We just won't be that type of person because we're loving God. And he's changing us through the power of his Holy Spirit and the person and work of his son, Jesus. This is good news, Redeemer. It's like really good news.
God actually is changing us. That's actually happening. Why? Because we're children adopted into the family of God by the Spirit of God, which means we can cry out, Abba, Father. And you know what happens when we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father? He hears us. He hears us. It's good news. It's really good news. And the good news tells us that we've dropped the ball on numerous occasions. But it also tells us that there was a faithful son who carried it for us. And he carries us as well into the arms of our heavenly father. When he died upon the cross and was raised to new life, and as we continually, faithfully honor our heavenly father, Jesus will eventually lead us into the land, into the new creation, where we will bask in the presence of almighty God. That's really good news. I'm sure I was a little tangential. But this is good news. This is good news. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, we love you with all of our hearts. And Father, where we're struggling to love you with all of our hearts, help us. Help us to do it faithfully. Help us who are in difficult circumstances um, with relationships with family, Lord God. I pray for that. I pray that you would give us wisdom as to how we might honor our fathers and our mothers. I pray for our kids, Lord God, all of them that are in Redeemer Kids right now, Lord God, and the other children that might be connected to us, grandkids, nieces, nephews, Father. I pray, Father, I pray for their souls. I pray that you would help them to see something different in us so that they might ask, why? And we can tell them it's because you saved us and that you might save them as well, Father. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.